a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, it's Thursday morning, and it's the Tropical MBA podcast today. I've got my business partner, Ian, the boss man on the show. How you doing, Ian? Hey, man. How's it going? And a special guest, Taylor Pearson from taylorpearson.me has come by to help us out. A little new format. I don't know what we're going to call it, Taylor, but you have a knack for getting the best out of us. So hopefully you can get the best out of us on this week's show. Thanks for joining us. We're about to find out. (laughs) All right, guys. So today we're going to have a broad ranging conversation about team building, ways that Ian and myself do it, as well as some insider insights that Taylor has from having been on our team. We're going to talk about the benefits of training at altitude and playing with house money. We're going to talk about the six months to Michael Keaton heuristic and the trajectory theory of hiring. But first, I want to open it up with an email we've got from a young listener named Frederick. So let me read it. Hey, Dan, thanks for the great podcast. I love listening to it because you guys got so much skin in the game. We got to talk about it. I don't think so. I'm just giving advice, man. I specifically do not have skin in the game with uh, giving you advice, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm a 22-year-old university student without any real skills. Right now, I'm choosing between two options. Which would you choose? First, learn SEO. There seems to be an in-demand skills for internships, and this would make me a better candidate. Or two, go straight to the heart of knowledge and start my own business with the, quote, skills that I have. I know some WordPress, so I could probably set up websites for local companies. Your advice would mean a lot. Thanks for the inspiration, Frederick. Thank you, Frederick, for listening to the show. I think I can enlist these two guys for some free consulting for you. So you guys think we can parlay this episode to give Frederick some free advice? I don't know if we can parlay it, but we can definitely answer his question. <laughs> Those two pieces of land are pretty far apart. A lot of two dollar words in there. So let me pose it to you guys. If you guys are in Frederick's shoes, what would you do? Taylor, I'm gonna defer to you. I'm excited to have you on the show. I want to hear what you had to say. My answer is gonna be it doesn't really matter. I think the important thing is you just pick one and go with it. So I got into internet marketing, entrepreneurship, whatever, learning SEO. I don't know anything about SEO now, and that was two and a half years ago, so it moves pretty fast. The key is that it's something discrete. So the thing that scares me about the heart of knowledge option is like, it's just too broad. It's like, I'm gonna learn everything about all this business stuff instead of just picking a discrete skill. So if it's between SEO and WordPress websites, I guess I'd go WordPress, because I think WordPress will be little more long-lasting skill than SEO. Like I still use WordPress skills today. I don't really use any of my SEO knowledge. Yeah, Dan and I were talking about this in Tokyo when I first heard Frederick's question. And I think I heard SEO and I was like, why would anybody learn SEO when they can learn paid traffic? (laughs) I mean, uh, obviously a lot of people know SEO and a lot of people make a lot of money with it. But paid traffic to me is is such a more discrete skill set. And I think that people these days, it's much easier to pay for it. So Frederick, if I was going to learn anything, like Taylor said, I would learn a discrete skill. And instead of SEO, I think I would pick paid traffic. I think the heart of the knowledge is not well-defined here. 
here. I would go get a job. Get a job, Frederick. That's that's what I would do. I mean, I, we're going to jump right into this training at altitude and playing with house money and stuff. And what we call it, like jumping on the fixie that's going downhill. It's such a better way to learn know-how, which a lot of this stuff is, right? So like SEO isn't really a body of knowledge. It's a know-how. Like there are people who can figure out how to rank sites and there's people who can't. It doesn't really matter how many books about SEO you've read. It's like reading about sex, you know? It doesn't translate into bedroom performance necessarily. <laughs> I read an article actually today and I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. So uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if I 100% agree with you. You got to put it into practice. And when you put it into practice, you don't want to be doing it at your own pace. You should be doing it at someone else's pace, ideally someone who runs a lot faster than you. And ideally when you don't have any downsides, so with their money. So if you're going to learn paid traffic, you know, don't save up 100 bucks and then go online and launch a little affiliate website. Like go work for an affiliate affiliate, right? And learn on their dime. Learn with house money. That's my final answer. Well, and the analogy works because it's a context question, right? You can't study SEO because all the stuff about SEO that works is high context. It's like a gut feeling you get. You know, if you talk to Travis about SEO, he doesn't have like a formulaic recipe so much as he can just see what's coming because he has like such a touch and feel with SEO. I agree. So guys, on that note, we have five discussion points about building and managing teams, in particular in the era of apprentices. What do you mean by this, Taylor? You wrote down a return to apprenticeships and the math on why it works better for everyone. What's happening in your eyes? So I think there's sort of this cultural phenomenon that's going on. Like it used to be very normal, say 200 years ago, if you wanted to get into some trade, right, you go spend five years and you apprentice. Like Benjamin Franklin went and apprenticed with a print shop in Philadelphia. And now that's kind of looked down upon, like broader and social context. Like people have no problem with someone taking out 150 grand in debt to go get an MBA, but it's seen as exploitative that someone goes and does free work or does like a low paid apprenticeship at an ad agency or some kind of entrepreneurial company. And I think that's changing. This push to apprenticeships because of what we just talked to Frederick about and like the high context and kind of getting your fingers in the pie and being able to play with someone else's money has a lot more upside and it has no downside, right? You can't finish an apprenticeship in debt unless you run up a bunch of credit card debt, but you can finish and everyone does finish an MBA with a bunch of debt. I love this idea. I read Benjamin Franklin's biography and the idea that like you apprentice at a print shop for a couple of years and then you go work at a print shop and then maybe you own a print shop. But the bottom line is you can always go back to that skill set. Like, can you always go back to that MBA? Right. <laughs> the answer is no, you can't. People say that's the way it's framed up in our culture. So by the way, let's dub this the mom's couch downside, which is very, it's not a bad downside. Mom's yeah, like the only is downside is you don't get laid. Right? She's got TiVo. <laughs> She's got TiVo. <laughs> free meals. But you know what? People actually say it that way, Ian. They say, at least I've got my MBA to fall back on, which that's how the culture still thinks. And there's this generation of people, our generation, who says things like, you know, that's exploitative or I should charge at least what I'm worth. But yeah, they're happy to dump 150 grand into the MBA. And I, I think, you know, resetting this whole cultural expectation is is important. And when people say they've got their MBA to fall back on, what they really mean is I've got my MBA network to fall back on. Because I haven't talked to anyone that's got an MBA in the last 10 years that said the skills were actually useful. The network might be useful, 
but that's what you're paying for. Yeah, I mean, and so you better be getting like a top 20 MBA at that point. Right. So guys, to get the benefits of training at altitude, Taylor, you know, you had an experience firsthand at this, brought you into the company. You know, some people call it playing with house money. Dan and I also got to do this early on in our career. Basically, started at a company, had a lot of responsibility, basically got the curtains pulled back and had the opportunity to see all the inner workings of the system at basically no cost. You know, tell me a little bit about what you thought in our organization or how that benefited you. I mean, the main benefit I got out of it is you just get to, I use the metaphor like get your fingers in the pie because it is a high context thing. There's a lot of things you can't learn from the outside looking in, but you can understand from the inside looking out. It's like interesting you see a bunch of these startup guys that do the same thing, like the mafias, the PayPal mafia and the Skype mafia and all these guys that worked in successful startups and go on to do more startups. And everyone's like, why is the PayPal mafia so successful or why does that work? And it's that like high context training at altitude experience, I think. People are so quick to undervalue this because it's not super legible on the outside. Like the MBA, the 150 grand, like you got that piece of paper, you got that status forever. But how much is it really worth to have your fingers in that pie? People go for small money. They try to optimize their consulting rate or try to optimize their salary like in the very early days of their career. The thing about it is is like optimizing your salary or optimizing how much you get paid for your internship or whatever is never ever going to be the win. So I think that that's one mistake that I see people make is trying to optimize like the small wins. The big win is going to be like five or 10 years from now, like when you build and sell your company. It's never going to be like optimizing that salary that you're making from your intern or going for the higher paid internship. Yeah, I think about like optimizing for trajectory. So whenever I'm making decisions, it's like what's going to put me on the highest trajectory the fastest and not necessarily what's going to be the best return in 90 days. So let's move on to the second point, guys. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this pie. I think there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to be an apprentice. One thing I've noticed from running Tropical Workforce back in the day, and we can maybe talk about that a little bit, like the rise of remote job sites and stuff, is that entrepreneurs have a difficult time understanding this. In fact, that's why I shut down the site, because I had a really difficult time training people on how to mentor people, actually. So one of the heuristics, Ian, that you operate under is you call it six months to Michael Keaton. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, just dating yourself. You weren't on the call yet, but Taylor goes, by the way, who's Michael Keaton? And I was like, (laughs) yeah, he hasn't come out with the movie in 15 years, but he was Batman. He was Batman. He was huge, man. He was big time back in the day. Six months to Michael Keaton. And Dan, I agree with you 100%. It's unique. When you meet someone and they have a staff and you like watch the way that they treat their staff and it's very hard hard to find people that were operating under the same principles that we had, essentially. And with this tropical workforce thing, a lot of those things were internships. We happen to have a lot of experience running internships. The first one wasn't nearly as good as the 10th one, you know, and it just takes time. So I think that that's part of the reason why that shut down. But there's some new sites that are coming up, I think, that are focused on remote jobs, not necessarily internships. And I think those will actually be a lot more successful than our job board, because ultimately our downfall was that we were focused too much on internships and that the timing just wasn't right. So a bit of a side note there. But in terms of the six months to Michael Keaton thing, again, Taylor, I think you can attest to this. So essentially, when I look at when we hire someone, I think in the first six months, like the best case.
case scenario is that they think like me. And I think it's going to take like six months to a year for that to happen. And when I say think like me, Michael Keaton was in this movie Multiplicity. He, he makes himself, you know, multiple people. And like, that's what I want in my business. Like I, I am the owner, the CEO, whatever. Forget the titles. I have a strong vision for the future. And what I need is for more people to think like me. And if you can do that within six months to a year, then that's the first step. And then after that, if you can start to sprinkle in your own experiences and all that stuff, that's great. But if you can't get to the point where you're at least thinking like me in six months and it ain't going to work out. Well, I mean, I think like one of the shocking things might be, and this is related to these internships, is that it takes six months. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's like a really a long ball thing. So point number three, let's mash these two points together, is the trajectory theory of hiring or why we don't generally hire 30-year-olds. But I think one of the things that makes me think about this, Ian, is if you're hiring these high flyers, how long can you expect to keep them? So if you're going to invest six months in getting them to be the second Michael Keaton and then they leave a year and well, a half later, is that ROI for you? Yeah, it can be for sure. But I want to go back and see what Taylor's thoughts are on this because, you know, Taylor, let's be like pretty honest about our relationship. Like the first six months, maybe not so good, right? And then we had a talk and then some doors opened and things like that. But like, tell me what you think about that. I think it's the corollary to what Dan was saying about like optimizing for cash and consulting when you're like three months in. It's like if you get frustrated with someone that's been around for three months and they haven't really gotten any context, there's no like long perspective. And I think it's partly getting them to be you and like understand the vision of the company. But it's also just like a skills thing. Like if you hire someone that doesn't have, especially in a small company where there's like so many different things going on, you can't hire someone with a specialized skill set, right? They've got to acquire all these skills and then figure out how to mash them together and figure out like how that works for them personally. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's probably one that's worth making on this show, Dan, is that when you and I hire, I mean, sometimes the position is very well defined. Like if somebody leaves and then we have a position to fill, then it's very well defined. If the company is growing and, you know, we haven't built a product business before, so we're on employee number 10 right now, you know, employee number 12 could be a completely new job position. Part A here of the third point, Dan, is hiring people that are under 30 years old. In general, the reason why we do that is because we hire for attitude over aptitude, right? Right? Having them learn and cultivate these skills easily takes six months. One of the things I think about trajectory is if you're 35 and you still want to be in this kind of like, I want to be molded role. Now, we've definitely hired 35-year-olds and people much older, but I think it's important to like understand why. That's a legitimate open question. If you like want to be trained in entrepreneurship and you're 35 and you don't have a company, like I want to know why. There better be a really good reason like I was on the mountain for five years or something, whatever. It's, I, I want to know what it is. So that's what I mean. I think in trajectory theory, I, I often think of like the image of grabbing the employee at their best torque band. You know, you don't want them to be too green. You don't want them to be too far along. Like that to me is a really important thing to consider is what their like life trajectory looks like from their perspective and whether or not you can get them there faster. If you can't, then it, it's not worth having a relationship. So I think an important point here is part of y'all's theory of hiring, I'm not sure if you've made explicit, is if it's like a defined skill set, like someone just needs to come in and do X, you know, like come in and, and run PPC campaigns, you go get a contractor, right? So if it's someone that the skill's not as defined or it's some like position to grow into, that's when you hire an employee. Yeah, I think that in general, that's, that's correct. And I think a lot of people listening to this could calling us ageists or something like that. But I think really it has a lot more to do with trajectory as we're talking about here. You know, I was theorizing about this like CFO position for our companies and things like that. And you go through the thought experiment, you think, well, should we hire somebody that's, you know, much older? 
older and then they have a lot of experience here or should we hire somebody that's much younger and they have a little bit less experience but then you really start to think about like what is the trajectory of that position what is their trajectory and I think that's a much more solid point than thinking about how old someone is you know and Taylor thinking about your point one of the things that I feel like our core team does is defines roles for contractors services or third parties so like if you're doing something that could be done by a contractor, then that's not really the role of a team member. You know, a team member ought to be existing in like some level of uncertainty. Right. I always thought about it like building the machine as opposed to running the machine. You want to try and bring someone in to build the machine. And then like worst case scenario, they end up being like a highly competent person that runs the machine. Yeah, that's the trick. So speaking of doing that, one of your management tricks, boss man, or at least one that Taylor told us that you have, is called the open door management policy. I didn't know you had this policy, Ian. But, well, uh, I try not to. I don't share all my secrets. It's funny <laughs> on this point, Taylor and I have different interpretations of, of what this point means. I actually agree with yours, Taylor. So it's part of the strategy, but why don't you share what it is? So the angle I was coming at it from was open door in the sense that you're kind of walking around this house full of opportunities and you're opening doors and seeing if they're going to step through them. So instead of saying like, you need to go do X, Y, and Z, Ian likes to say stuff like, there's an interesting opportunity to, and then da, 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 da. And so that's like an open door and seeing where people walk through it. So my angle on this was that's more motivating as someone on the team to be able to choose the door you walk through than getting shoved through a door you don't necessarily want to walk down. Yeah, and I call this the shit can test, basically. <laughs> Much more friendly. It's, yeah, it's either the open door management policy or the shit can test. It's also really the smart person test. I think that you're right, Taylor. People like to be kind of like led to the door and like shown the opportunity and then they can kind of pick their path. And that's something that I do a lot is like, hey, here's five opportunities. Which one do you think is worth working on? And then you know, we'll go and work on it and see what happens. But a lot of times you'll find people that aren't interested in working on any of these things. And a lot of times these people haven't had experiences like this before, right? It's like they don't understand the value of seeing these open opportunities and getting to own them essentially, right? Because what happens is like you lead them to this opportunity and then they follow through on it and it's a great success. And then they get the bam, put their name on it and stamp it. And that's really what you're looking for is for somebody to be able to stamp those kinds of things and, and take ownership. Yeah, I think like the corporate version of this is the results only work environment thing. And it does work from both ways. So you sort of attract people that want to get results. And then you filter through people pretty fast that aren't focused on that. Like if someone just wants to put in their time and you're opening all these doors, it's pretty clear they're not going to step through them. Exactly. And I think that that's okay, man. We haven't owned a company of that size before, but maybe someday we will, where you start hiring a lot more B and C players because you just got a bunch of work to get done. But so far, like in our teams and our, our companies are relatively small, high growth companies, and you're looking for people that can attack these opportunities. All right. So what do you guys think about our final point here? The importance of context or balancing in person with virtual interaction. I mean, one of the things I think, you know, when we had DCBKK recently, I was talking with my team and they were like, wow, this was like such a great week to kind of get on the same page. And I was like, yeah, yeah, in person is great, but we don't want to go back to an office. So where's the right balance? What do you guys think about virtual teams, time zones, in person versus virtual? 
I've got a lot of theories on this. Obviously, interested to hear both of your guys' thoughts on this, but I'm developing this new one that I feel like pretty strong about. And I want to couple this with one of the first points that we made, which is training at altitude and playing with house money in the first six months multiplicity thing. Like, I think in general, going forward, it's very important. Like, if I'm going to hire a key employee that I want to stick around with the company and to have a big impact with, I want to spend at least six months with them on the ground in person. And I think from there, like, once they understand how I operate and my vision and we all get along and understand our workflows and things like that, then I think that they can go along their way. But I think it's really important to spend a lot of in-person, face-to-face for the first six months. What do you guys think about that? Definitely the first three months and I think like 90 to 180 days is good. But again, it, it does go back to the context point of actually getting a feel for what it's like. And you also get a feel for them and managing them as well. I mean, it works both ways. It just seems like such a huge investment to me. It actually seems like a bit of a risk as well. I generally would say a month max. I don't know, though. (laughs) (laughs) If you know Dan, that's about right. Let me ask you guys this. I'm curious, Taylor, about your perspective on the entrepreneurial promise. So inherent in all of this like apprentice stuff is like, you know, Ian, part of the promise you're making to your employees is like, okay, well, why are they spending six months with you? They want to be Michael Keaton. Like, why do they want to be the next Batman? Well, they want to be the next Batman because eventually they want to start their own company. Eventually they want to not be your employee. So how do you balance like this huge investment you're making in them? You know, you're promising them the skill set so that they can eventually be the next you. That means the next you means they're going to have their own company. What's the time frame in which you expect that to happen? You're going to invest six months of your life being around this person and then they're going to be gone. Look at Taylor. He's gone. Yeah, I know. That's what I was just about to bring up is like, look what happens. Then he ends up on the podcast again in a better capacity, (laughs) I would say. So really, I I think it's we have a a better relationship now. Let's hear Taylor's perspective on this. So how do you think Boss Man managed this with you, like this entrepreneurial promise? I think in a lot of ways the mentality of trying to find someone, hire them, train them, and then keep them around for 20 years is swimming upstream. Even you look at people in a a traditional corporate setting, that's very, very uncommon now. There's very few people that are in their 20s or 30s that are going to be in any job for 30 years. And so the mechanisms are going to have to evolve to let people move around more fluidly. I think about it similar to like NFL coaches. Like if you look at like Vince Lombardi and all the coaches that came under him and then ended up being very successful head coaches, it turns into this like coaching tree. And so like I think you see that like going back to the mafia idea, like the PayPal mafia, you use that as a way to bring in the most talented people. Like Nick Saban does this in college football now. He brings in like the most talented assistant coaches and his deal is like, yeah, you're going to work for me for two to five years and then you're going to get a head coaching job at a top school. And I apologize to everyone that doesn't follow college football. It's like hire people who won't leave at your own risk. I mean, that's what I'm hearing, right? I don't think it's fair unless you're Japanese to say that they're going to stick around for 30 years. But I think two to five years is great. I think if you can get two to five years out of somebody working with you, like at a very high level, like that's awesome. And to drive it home with some like real shit on this two to five year thing, like let's not sugarcoat the employment situation. Like when you hire somebody, like you're expecting an ROI on that investment, right? We're running businesses here, not charities. So like if I have to sit down and I have to do the multiplicity thing, thing for six months to a year and they're going to work for me for five years and they're going to become one of my top performers in the company, like I can expect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in return on that investment. So like you bet your ass like I'm going to sit down for like six months and like (laughs) and do that, right? Because like for me, it's a great time in terms of revenue. And for that person, like all the things that you get to learn in this company and you get to start your own company afterwards. I mean, what more do you want, right? Let me think back to as someone who used to work for a guy like you, Ian, you know, that was 
still the experiences that I look back on because that was, you know, a, a larger company than, than we currently run. Yeah, I kind of had that sense. It's like, I've been here before. I know how this goes. I'm not worried about my ability to perform in these circumstances. Um, so Frederick, you know, when I look back at like, should you learn SEO or should you start doing client work? I don't think you should do any of that. I think the skill set that you should be tracking right now is your ability to get yourself into a situation like this. Ruthlessly try to get yourself into this apprentice type situation. And if you can't, you know, ask the people, why aren't you bringing me on? What's wrong, man? What do I got to do to work for you for free? Because the downside is mom's couch the upside is winning the NCAA championship or whatever Taylor said about college coaches. Taylor, your parting shot. Nah, nah, I just got shit canned for the uh, college coach comment. Maybe parting shot for me is any discrete step forward is a win, right? So, yeah, you go get some clients to build WordPress sites for or you go get an apprenticeship or you go get some people to pay to do SEO. Even the two consulting gigs, you can parlay those into an apprenticeship. Then all of a sudden you've got skills. So this guy like, you know, why should I hire you for face like, oh, because I know SEO or oh, because I know WordPress sites. The answer to the question is yes. Every step forward is discreet and helpful. Any job is an apprenticeship if you're good, right? I mean, it depends on your level of care and your level of vision for yourself. Like if you know that you're going to be an entrepreneur someday, you're not just going to be a waiter. You're going to be a waiter who's thinking about table layout, who's thinking about table turnover, who's thinking about how well the menu converts. And if your bosses aren't you know, open to that kind of feedback, they're not letting you sit at that table and they're not hearing that kind of feedback, then move on. Get the next one. Are you, you, know? you mad because you got fired for redesigning the menu, Dan? Is that what happened I'm at your still, weird job? still bitter about it. <laughs> it's the reverse shit can test, right? It's like if you're going trying to get in all these doors and they won't let you in the doors, it's like a shitty company and you can get out. That's a great parting shot, Taylor, is, you know, Frederick, you want to be at the table. You, know, you want to find a company where you can be at the table, the table where the decisions get made. If you're not at that table, you're not at the right place if you want to learn this stuff. So anyway, we'd love to hear your comments on this one. Thank you, Taylor, for joining us. We hope you'll come back next month with another philosophical topic. You can read more at taylorpearson.me. And boss man, of course, you're paid to be here. So I expect that you'll be back next week. This is tropicalmba.com slash return to apprentice. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.